Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be Logical Christians. The Logical Christian Podcast has lost its mind. The editor has taken control and decided that these are the reviews you're going to hear today, and there's nothing I can do about it. Because I'm the editor, and I wanted to use these stories as I found them kind of interesting, even if they don't group together as a theme. And on today's episode, first I'm going to make your face itch, then we'll make sweet, sweet music, but only if we're men, and finally we'll get to the real reason your tummy hurts. So, get out your tube of celebrity-endorsed facial cream, prepare to be incensed, non-binarily, and grab your airsick bag as you leave this horrible country, because, uh... We're first in line for departure, and uh, here we go. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to throw up or not, but I do know that I'll never sleep again. Join me, won't you? Found on ScienceAlert.com headline, Skin mites that mate on our faces at night are slowly merging with humans. (laughs) That's fine. Everything is fine. We're all fine here. So look, we all know that there are microscopic creatures everywhere. This article is discussing Demodex folliculorum, which is really just kind of fun to say, folliculorum. These little guys and gals live on our face and in our face all the time. They're about a third of a millimeter long, about one eightieth of an inch, so, you know, pretty tiny. They have three little pairs of legs until they're adults when they grow a fourth pair, The muscles that move each of these legs are made up of three cells, which is the same muscle mass I feel I possess when I start working out after not doing anything for an extended period of time. I'd liken them from the horrifying microscopic pictures I saw to a horribly frightening grain of rice. They have a little munching mouth at the front, and scientists used to think that they had no anus, but they do, don't worry. You can rest easy. They do have an anus. The males have a penis, which sticks up and forward from their back, so don't picture that. Once born, they take about seven days to reach adulthood, and then have about six to eight days before they die. So, two weeks. That's their lifespan. I wonder if they're like us. As the seconds tick by for them, they wonder why time went so slow at first, and now as they're getting old, it seems to fly by... Oh, when I was a kid, a minute used to feel like five minutes, but now a minute feels like a second. It's crazy, I tells you. Basically, these little fellas live inside your hair follicles during the day. They feast on your dead skin cells. Mm. But when night comes, that's when the action begins. They scoot out of your face hair holes and look for some mite bidness. And that's what they do all night. Scoot across your face and look for that special lady. Then after facial fornication, they find a nice hair hole and skitter back down in there, crunching away on dead skin surprise. Fascinating. And, uh, and also horrifying. The gist of this article is that this is a parasite that's evolving into a symbiont. In other words, they've been previously classified as something that lived off the host with no benefit to us, and they're potentially being reclassed as something that is tied to humans only, and a mutual benefit exists. The author is basing this article from a study that's been done by Bangor University in the UK, sequencing the genome of the mite to look for evolutionary changes. The article is written in a way that the little mite is changing or evolving, but from what I can tell and from looking up other sources, it doesn't appear that any scientist is claiming that they're actually seeing the mite evolve or change in any way. Rather, it's different in various ways from other mites that they've determined are related to this mite. Either way, keep in mind, what we started with is a mite, and what we currently have is a mite. Changes within the kind are not evolution, nor is it proof that evolution is a real thing. 
What they do observe is that it's different from other mites. The speculation as to why they're different is because it has no competition and no natural predators, other than probably an oxypad. Do they still make oxypads for zits? Those things burned, and they didn't help at all. They also live one place, on the face of a human, on your face, in the upper part of the hair follicle, and they eat and mate, and then they die. So, kind of like a good number of humans. Some of the differences, the unique characteristics of these things, is that they've got a very narrow genome, no real potential for variation. They have the very minimum number of proteins required for survival. And because of that, it doesn't have the genes needed for things like UV protection, or that wake a creature up at daylight which is apparently why they come out at night. They can't produce melatonin, rather they harvest it from the host. You know, your facial secretions, to be exact. Scientists say that at one of the nymph stages, think uh, maybe your teen years, they have the most cells in their body, losing some as they reach adulthood. Scientists further say that this is, quote, the first evolutionary step in the march of an arthropod species to a symbiotic lifestyle. Huh. Huh. They also say that because the gene pool is very small, they might be headed for an evolutionary dead end. Okay. So, do they actually benefit humans, which is necessary if this is classified as a symbiotic relationship? Well, scientists aren't sure. One of the speculations is that these guys actually helped keep your facial pores unplugged. So, maybe? And that's the end of the article. I found the article pretty interesting, actually, and and the author was kind of humorous. I also found it disgusting and terrifying. But more than that, I found it to be kind of a mess invoking the term evolution to prove that that's true, yet having nothing to do with evolution by definition at all. Let's take a brief look at a few of the claims. First, it's evolving because it's different than other mites. Second, it's evolving because it's losing its genetic diversity. Third, it might be at an evolutionary dead end because of the lack of genetic diversity. And four, losing cells is the first step to making a symbiotic lifestyle. Okay, so... It's evolved and is evolving because it's different than other mites. That's the claim. The problem we have is that they don't have anything to show that it's evolving. They're only saying that it's different than other mites that they've deemed to be related. The reality is all they know is that it's different. The only thing that proves is that it's different. But as I said a few minutes ago, it's a mite. The other mites are also mites. There's nothing suggesting that it's turning into something other than a mite. This isn't evolution, or even remotely close to proof of evolution. Next, they say it's evolving because it's losing the genetic diversity. Well, by definition, evolution is a gain of information, not a loss. If it's losing information, if it started with a larger genome, more proteins, or whatever, and now it has less, that's the same thing as a wolf evolving into a chihuahua. The lost information is gone. That's not evolution. That would be maybe de-evolution, devolution at best. So why is it losing information? I have no idea. My guess is that uh, it's not. It's got exactly what it's supposed to have. But if it is actually losing information, maybe the other proteins made it harder to find a mate or made it sterile or maybe it made it so it couldn't process food correctly or made it move slower. I have no idea. What I do know is that a loss of information is not evolution, by definition. Along the same lines, is that this might be an evolutionary dead end. But, um, why? Evolution shouldn't have a dead end, should it? Unless it's wiped out by, you know, like a huge meteor, it should be able to jump to the next level, right? Level up? Finally, the researchers say that losing cells is the first step toward living a symbiotic lifestyle. Is it? Do they know this? Have they seen this happen? Or is this speculation? I mean, logically, I could make that work. Sure. If I lost the use of my limbs, I would need someone else to help me. If all I did was take and take and take, by definition, that would make me a parasite. Nobody get offended. It's just a technical definition. 
But if I could bring something to the table for that person, a, uh, a quick wit, a fantastic storytelling ability, a charming personality, then it would be a symbiotic relationship. So, yeah, if the mite is losing abilities, such as the ability to produce melatonin, and requires the host to absorb its melatonin, that's a parasite. If it keeps our pores cleaned out, that's symbiotic. But just because we can make a logical assumption doesn't mean that's how it works. And keep in mind, this is making another assumption that it used to have more cells, more abilities, simply because other mites have those abilities. Assumptions are fine for scientific theories or hypotheses, but we can't speak of the assumptions as if they're scientific fact, which is what these researchers appear to be doing. Let me give you an alternative idea regarding these mites. They were designed by God 6,000 years ago to do exactly what they're doing and have been doing the same thing the entire time. They don't produce melatonin because they were designed to absorb it. They don't have UV protection because they only come out at night. They only come out at night because that's what God designed them to do. Why? No idea. Could be a single reason, could be many reasons, but maybe that's what they were designed to do. Maybe the way they're anatomically structured isn't because they evolved divergent of other mites, but because they were designed that way specifically. And remember, it was, it currently is, and it will be a mite in the future. It's amusing to me that the article says scientists used to believe the mite had no anus, that it just ate for its two-week lifespan, and when it died, its butt would explode, and that contributed to skin conditions. But then they found the anus, which is unbelievably tiny, and now they're thinking this mite could actually be beneficial by keeping our pores cleaned out rather than clogging them upon death. So they really don't know what this guy does. But they know that it's evolved and evolving and possibly going to evolve itself to extinction. Now, I think I'd go with the theory that God created this thing exactly as it is for a specific purpose, possibly to keep our pores clean. Keep in mind that before sin, there's no reason to believe that we didn't have skin cells dying and sloughing off that needed to be disposed of. There's no reason to believe that our pores didn't produce oils or potentially get clogged. So God designed this face bug the exact same way he designed, say, bacteria in our guts to aid in digestion, perfectly for what it's needed to do. Why add in all the available options for something that has one specifically designed purpose? This is a tiny example, both literally and figuratively, but we all have a finite amount of energy and time, and if we're focused on something like evolution, what other more important practical discoveries about this might, or many other things, are we missing? All because we must not allow the idea that there might be a god. It's sad to see smart people shackled to a godless worldview. So, for you... When you read or hear of discoveries like this or others that claim some proof for evolution, don't just gloss over them and move past it. Take a minute, understand what they're saying, and then as an exercise to keep you sharp, to keep you focused, work out in your mind how this proves and supports the Bible and how the theory of evolution is being misapplied solely to push an agenda. For as long as I've been working in the industrial manufacturing world, so, oh man, over 20 years now, the known way to get anything funded or made or installed is to throw out the S-word as often as you can. Safety. I don't know what you were thinking. More recently, if you toss in environmental, that works just about as good, if not better, to get your wildest dreams to come true. And look, I agree that we want to be safe and we want to care for our planet, although, let's be honest, that's not exactly what environmental actually means. But the use of these terms are akin to uh, the boy who cried wolf. Some things are legitimately safety-related. Some aren't. And if anyone in the accounting department ever catches wind of this, oh man, we're in a lot of trouble. We'll never get anything funded. The general world, at least in the first world countries, have some different keywords. It used to be race, racial, racist, and I mean, that's still used all the time, but it's kind of losing its sting at this point. I said a number of years ago that I really wanted everyone to cry racist for everything, because when everything's racist, 
then nothing is. And maybe we can actually reset this disaster and actually call things what they are. There is real racism in the world, but it's not rampant, like we've been told to believe. Like I said, however, that magic word is fading. Don't worry, though. Snowflakes abhor a vacuum, so another, better, stronger word or concept is taking its rightful place on top of the woke mountain. Diversity and or inclusion. Now all the media or an organization or a single Ken or Karen has to do is cry that such and such company isn't diverse and the levers start moving. Not being diverse and inclusive enough, if not apologized for immediately and then remedied, including reparations, in short order, will lead to shaming, shunning, and cancellation. And none of us want to be canceled by a bunch of people that scream at the sky and sit down on freeways to protest idiocy. Do we? Well, to that end, found on musicradar.com, headline, New study finds that fewer than 6% of signature electric guitars are made for female and non-binary players. Now, I'm assuming you're as unbelievably offended as I am. How could the guitar industry get away with this hatred, this literal violence toward women and non-binarians? More to the point, how could there be a god that would allow this? Well, take some Pepto. Let's see if we can get through this. We'll do this together. A study was done by the internet database Find My Guitar, which, let's be honest, is probably one of the best Find My databases in all the land. Well, they found that a mere 5.7% of all signature electric guitars are made for female or non-binary guitar players. Uh, bile. To answer your question, that's bile you're tasting right now. Just hold it together here. Thankfully... They confined the carnage to electric guitars. They probably were at a point of exhaustion and terror by that point, so they excluded acoustic guitars, which, let's be honest, are only used by country singers, and all those guys are just racist. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Homopho- Well, no, that's not right either. They literally hate women and, um, other. So the study polled 21 leading guitar brands, which, let me interject here, did you know there were 21 leading guitar brands? I mean, how many total guitar brands are there? I can name like three. Anyway, they found that out of the 214 signature guitars, only 13 were not designed for male players. Referencing back to a survey from 2018 conducted by Fender, that's one of my three, they found that 50% of beginners and those in the process of learning and improving were women. So the question is, why don't these manufacturers design signature guitars for women. The argument, of course, is not that they design for women and other, but this article seems to have forgotten about other for the time being, but that women must be included in the designing. Lori Basilio, who is a female who plays a guitar that I guess we're supposed to know about, helped design her guitar, which basically means that she wanted a smaller fretboard because she has smaller hands, you know, like women tend to have. So literally the rest of the article calls out a few of the 21 leading guitar manufacturers, of which I recognized one, Epiphone, but I guess I didn't realize they made guitars, and they were not one of my three. They named a few bad, bad companies that apparently hate women and other. I'm assuming other, but other has literally disappeared after the initial sentence because even this author knows that there are literally only two genders and two basic forms of guitar players. So it really doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what your anatomy is. That's the point of the article. So, you know, non-binary is poof, gone from this very diverse and inclusive article, apparently. They also named a good company that's done more, but clearly it's not enough, and it'll never be enough. Look, this literally comes down to something that isn't supposed to matter or even exist, the fact that men and women are different. And forget non-binary, that's a mental thing, not an anatomy thing. You're either a man or a woman when it comes to arm length, finger length, hand size, etc. Yes, there are bigger women and smaller men, but the general pattern holds true for most of the population. Almost like it was designed that way. Uh, but that's crazy talk. 
CMO with Fender, Evan Jones, who was instrumental, <laughs> pun, 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 in collaborating to design one of the guitars marketed to women, said, quote, by designing a Stratocaster with a color, shape, and sound that is 100% my own, my hope is that other young women and players from all backgrounds feel inspired to pick up this guitar, tap into their thoughts, and create amazing music. So, wait. She, if, if that is in fact her pronoun, is claiming that women whatever that means, because I'm, I'm not a biologist, prefer colors, shapes, sizes, and sounds different than men. I mean, again, sans biology degree here. This is literally insane talk, right? So this article, the poll, is literally done to shame the guitar companies to capitulate to the will of a few. I have a few quick points that I feel need to be made. First, regarding the guitar manufacturers, they're in the business of making money. They pay a lot of money for marketing geniuses, marketing studies, demographic studies, etc. They literally shouldn't care who they make guitars for. If there was a massive demographic of women that are playing guitars, I guarantee that they'd make those guitars, you know, because money. The fact that they haven't made 50% of their offerings specifically for women tells me that the demand isn't great enough to spend money on the design, the study, the testing, the tooling, and the manufacturing. Second, this article kept speaking of signature guitars. Now, I'm not a guitar expert, but this suggests to me that there are a number of, say, medium and lower grade, thus lower priced, guitars that are produced. Now, the 6% number may still hold true even for those. If so, I revert to my first point, but the study apparently was done for signature guitars, but referenced an older study about beginner and aspiring guitar players, so not professionals, people who generally wouldn't spend the money on signature guitars. And the two women they referenced specifically as designing guitars for women are a CMO and apparently a professional player of some stripe. So. Methinks they're doing nothing but creating a story and slapping diversity and inclusion on it to get airtime. Now to a larger point in the world of inclusion, why did the study and article focus on men, women, and other? They didn't name any of the other 8400 gender identities, and they promptly dropped non-binary as soon as you got past the tagline, because that was the word to make the right people take notice, but literally had nothing to do with anything, because anatomy is anatomy. Always has been, always will be. But to an even larger point, which I alluded to already, I didn't think we were able to tell the difference between a male and a female, a man and a woman. I thought that doctors made mistakes and parents cruelly misgendered babies. I thought man or woman or whatever was up to the person and could change at any time and nothing meant anything anymore. So how could we expect a guitar company to make guitars geared towards women if there is no such thing? In fact, since men are women too... That means that 100% of all signature guitars are literally made for women, and also for men, because that's just a social construct, right? So, okay, this article in this study is stupid. That's what it comes down to. I'm not saying that there isn't merit in studying markets, demographics, buyers, users, etc. If the market shifts and more women start playing and demanding signature guitars, I'll bet a shiny quarter that manufacturers will bend over backward to bring the best offerings to market as fast as they possibly can, because again, money. But what do we see, as we continue to see everywhere all the time? We see that God created them male and female, male and female, he created them. I'd like to say that we're just the dumbest people in the history of the world with all of the non-binarians, the gender this, the two-spirit that, and all of the other 100-ish, or maybe more now, maybe, I don't know, genders. I'd like to say we're dumb but we're not. At best, we're emotionally retarded, meaning that our use of empathy and sympathy are not developed to any sort of reasonable level anymore. As a result, we don't want to tell anyone that they're living in a delusional state, as that might make them feel bad. And we just simply can't have that. That's the best case scenario. The most likely scenario is um, evil and perversion. 
Of course, this is Satan's plan. This is what we've seen over and over in biblical and post-biblical history. This is what we were warned about in many places in the Bible. And at our current point in history, there are millions upon millions of kids and adults that are simply being groomed and used for the perverse overlords of this world. We all know, everyone knows, except for those that are literally struggling with some sort of mental deficiency, either through chemical imbalance or birth defect, or in most cases, psychological manipulation, we know that when it comes down to gender, there are two and two only. When you boil down anything that has to do with anatomy, physiology, biology, genetics, anything medical, anything personal hygiene, all humans, whether they want to admit it or not, fall into either male or female. Because that's how we were designed. This silly study, like all these studies do, only backs that up. When I think of the future and how the future repeats history, if given enough time, the truth of this entire gender lie, this diversity lie, this inclusiveness lie will come to light. And just as some who were pushed or affirmed into transitioning to other genders read that as they were allowed to mutilate themselves inside and out because of something that should have been dealt with psychologically— just as they are today realizing what's been done to them, we're going to have tens of millions of adults that are going to be angry, hurt, confused, depressed, and suicidal, if not homicidal, because of what was pushed on them rather than helping with their mental confusion. The darkness in this world, I believe, will be like nothing we've ever seen, as it wasn't a conquering enemy that slaughtered, raped, and tortured those he conquered, this was done by the government, the authorities, the doctors, the counselors, and the friends and family that were supposed to love, protect, and help them. This is literally friendly fire. This period of our existence will be looked at through the eyes of history as, I believe, worse than the experimentation that was done by the Nazis on the Jews and the others they deemed not worthy of life. And don't get me wrong, I'm taking nothing away from the atrocities that the Nazis committed. I'm not minimizing that at all. I just believe that future generations will look at the history books and see something as bad and I think worse than even the evil that Hitler perpetrated. So as Christians, we cannot go over the cliff. We cannot be affirming and inclusive and whatever else. We must stand for the true truth. This is not to be unloving. We are to be loving to our neighbor. But as a doctor is doing the loving thing by diagnosing the cancer, sometimes love comes in a form that appears to be cruel, hurtful, or even brutal. But if it's the truth, it's the truth. Just as men like Bonhoeffer, women like Cory Ten Boom, and many others are shining lights in the dark world of World War II and the Hitler and Nazi evil of the era, we must stand tall. We must not give in. We need to love and help those that are being manipulated by those that literally hate them, that are looking for fame, that are looking for acceptance by a woke mob, that are looking for political advancement. We must be Christians. If we believe the Bible, we must stand for what the Bible stands for. If you don't believe the Bible, well, I'd argue that you're not a Christian. If you believe that gender is in the mind, if you believe that men can be women and vice versa, if you believe that children should be given hormone treatment, specific clothing, or mutilation surgery, I'm sorry, but you're not a Christian. You're an unsaved, hell-bound tool of Satan. And if you think I'm wrong, prove it. So for those that are truly saved Christians, I agree that the outlook looks bad. I agree that the race seems lost, but let me remind you that we serve a big, omnipotent, sovereign God. How his sovereignty, our actions, our will, our prayers, all work together at the same time, I have no idea. I just know they do, which means we must speak the truth in love to all. This is our duty. So stand strong. Don't back down. Stand for what you know to be true. In what appears to be a rapidly darkening world, we must be that shining city on a hill. Remember the game show, The $100,000 Pyramid? You'd have two people facing each other. One could see the pyramid board, and there were words on each block of the pyramid, the next being revealed only if the other person could guess the previous. The person reading the board would throw out keywords, clues, trying to get the other one to guess the word. Well, let's try it. I'll give you a bunch of keywords. You guess the word I'm trying to get you to say. Ready? Here we go. Roller coaster. Buffets. Roadkill. The American flag. Curdled milk. 
a stomach virus. Ipecac. Ipecac. You got it yet? Well, if you didn't get it, the word is puke. Now, you're probably wondering what that one in the middle of the list was. It was roadkill, but I also said the American flag. Found on the Blaze.com headline, Syra Rao says looking at the U.S. flag makes her want to puke. Quote, this country is a racist, transphobic, homophobic, xenophobic, ableist, classist, Islamophobic, misogynistic dumpster fire. <laughs> Okay, but other than that, she's cool with it. Oh, wait, no, sorry. No, no. after she tweeted that and got absolutely roasted the next day, being told that she can go anywhere else, that she should go back to her own country, she added, quote, To the myriad Nazis telling me a version of go back to your s-hole country, sadly, America is my s-hole country. So, so it appears that Ms. Rao has a bone to pick. So who is Syra Rao, besides an overly dramatic, angry, uninformed, wacko, woke leftist? Well, she's a 48-year-old Indian-American, like descended from India, not the Native American kind. She was born in Virginia, apparently lives in Colorado now. She made a run for Congress in 2018 and got absolutely destroyed by her opponent, despite being endorsed by Andrew Yang, among others. She's written a book and apparently is getting ready to release a second one, as well as having some sort of video series on some platform, I'm not really sure, and her favorite topic appears to be white supremacy. She seems to especially like to tell white women how racist and privileged they are. In fact, she blamed white people for her loss during her attempt to run for Congress. A month after her trouncing, an op-ed came out from the New York Times with the title of, Should I Give Up on White People? To which she answered, and I'm assuming this was on Twitter, quote, short and long answer, yes. And then she said she received threats because of her, you know, expression of hatred for a large portion of the country. So she said she had to leave Colorado temporarily because her and her family felt unsafe. I can't imagine why she'd get threats living in an area that's just over 80% white, saying that white people are the cause of all problems. I'm not saying that it was right. I'm just saying that I'm not surprised. So I agree, she can leave. If this country is so awful and the flag makes her physically ill, why does she stay? Well, maybe it's because she wants to help people learn and grow. Maybe she's got family here. Maybe she's just a glutton for punishment. Or maybe, and just hear me out here, maybe it's her estimated $3 million net worth that she's made in this horrible garbage dumpster fire of a country that literally hates her and wants her destroyed because she's not a whitey white white person. So what I wanted to do was take a look at her comment and see if what she says is true or partially true or if she's completely wrong. So let's go back to her oh-so-interesting comment to see what she claimed. America, in her eyes, is racist, transphobic, homophobic, xenophobic, ableist, classist, Islamophobic, and misogynistic. Okay, that's a lot of things. We'll need to move quickly. Now, you may be surprised to know I don't do all of these uh, commentaries off the top of my head, which is why you don't hear coughing, sneezing, huffing, ums and ers and ahs, mistakes, etc. These reviews are actually researched, at least to some degree. I write them, I go over them, I edit them, and then when I record the audio, I edit that as well. This isn't even my voice. Mine is much more like Mike Tyson. Okay, that's not entirely true. This is probably the reason why I may have to adjust my release schedule in the future, is these suckers take some time. But the reason I bring this up is because my intent, as I read there, was to show you how we are not, as a country, all of those things that this angry woman says we are. But I set the keyboard down, and I went and did some stuff, and as I was thinking about my next steps, it dawned on me. We, as a country, are most of these things. But it's, it's not coming from where this screeching Karen believes it is. What she doesn't realize or care about is that this country wasn't designed to be like that. It was set up to not be any of those things. 
This is why we have the longest-running constitution, I believe, in the history of the world. This is why we have a form of government that's run the same way for nearly 250 years. The design of this system of governance, the way this country was set up, allowed us to eliminate slavery, grant equal rights to women and all minorities. It's why we have people flocking to our borders, climbing walls, giving their children to absolute monsters, floating across the ocean on homemade dinghies just to get a foot on our land in hopes of being able to stay, as well as hundreds of thousands applying for asylum or to be a citizen every single year. If our country was designed to be all these things this angry beast says that we are, what would be different than anywhere else in the world? Why would people flock here? There are many other places that aren't some or all of those things. In fact, this is why she was told she was free to leave and why she never will. So as I was thinking about this, I decided this is where I want to go. I grew up in northern Wisconsin. In my tiny school, we had a couple people of Mexican descent. We had a couple girls of Indian, like from India, descent. And we had a single black kid whose nickname that he absolutely, literally had no problem with was actually a 70s-era racist slur, which I didn't realize until well into high school. Then I went to a real college, despite what anyone may tell you, or what you may think on your own based on listening to me. It was a real college in southern Wisconsin, and my college even today is just under 89% white, and I went there many moons ago. At least in the world I hung out in, the black kids were mostly on the various sports teams, so I knew they existed, and that's about it. And then there were a number of Hmong students, which all I really knew about them was that they appeared to be some sort of Asianish descent, and that they were really short. And I'm 5'8", on like a really hot day where I've expanded and lengthened a little, and I'm saying they're short, because they are. Then I got my first career-based job in central Alabama. You know what they've got a lot of there? Black people. And I'll admit, I had no idea what to do with them, or how to act around them. Even back then, the messaging was out that made, at least me, think that black people automatically don't like white people. White people can be called racist if they look at a black person wrong. They don't like us, we don't like them. And you know what I found out? Black people are humans, just like me. What a revelation. There were good ones, there were some that sucked, there were hard workers, there were lazy ones. They did all the same things I did. Some were Christian, some were not. They had families, they had hobbies, and my goodness, can they ever cook? Those black-owned rib, steak, and home-cooking restaurants down there? Oh, man. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. In fact, in my seven years down there, I met a lot of black people and white people. I only remember one racist person that I came across. He was the head of our HR department at the facility I worked at. And he was black. He was ahead of the game on diversity. You could tell from how it felt and what he said that he was not happy with having so many whites there. In fact, the reason I left the job was due to the fact that one of his clearly diversity hires, because the guy was woefully unqualified for the position they gave him, became my boss. He was terrible. The job became terrible. I was going home angry every single night because it was just a disaster. I didn't leave because my new boss was black. I left because he was awful. Also at that job, we had a bunch of lazy Mexican contractors. Well, we had one. They caught him sleeping in the corner. He was given the freedom to find opportunities elsewhere. But one thing we all agreed on was that if you wanted something done, and you wanted it done right and fast, the Mexican workforce was amazing. Nearly every one of them had a family and just wanted to be the best provider they could be, both for their family that was with them and any family back home in Mexico. They were fantastic. See, I learned an important lesson, a lesson that apparently this woman never learned, and it was because I was open to learning. I'm generally a nice guy, believe it or not, and I'm generally an optimistic guy who wants to think the best of people, and most importantly, I'm a Christian who knows that color, language, features, culture, and place of origin are all important factors in who a person is. But ultimately, we're all descended from Adam and Eve. We're all creations by God, uniquely formed in our mother's womb. We are all image bearers of God, and that makes us all related, all the same species, all cousins, all one race. So I can look at a black man and see him as the same, but different than a white man, but of equal worth. 
I can look at this squawking harpy of a woman of Indian descent and say, that's a woman of Indian descent. Okay. And although I don't value her wrong, hateful opinions, I do know that she too has the same value as an image bearer of God as I do, as everyone else does. There are those that don't believe this. There are supremacists of any origin, but mainly white or black. Whites that believe they're the master race, blacks that believe that they are. We have people of every ethnicity and every color that hate those that are anything but what they are. These people are not Christian people, as that's not who we are to be. They are lost, damned, image bearers of God. I believe that Ken Ham said, and I, I might be wrong, it could have been Vodi Baca, maybe H.B. Charles, I'm really not sure at this point, they said that there are only two races, saved and unsaved. That is how a Christian should look at the human race. Back to the topic at hand. I want to move through these even faster than I had originally planned, but I do want to go through them. So first, let's start with the phobias. That means a fear of. But just like the pronouns they and them, you know, those are supposed to be plural, but we've decided that they are singular now, the phobic suffix has been co-opted to mean we hate them. Starting with transphobic and homophobic. Okay, no. First of all, as terrifying as some of them look, I'm not scared of trannies and I'm not scared of gay people. I also don't hate them. And the only ones I dislike with great passion are the ones that feel it's their job to shove their sexually deviant practices in my face or groom my and our kids. But realistically, the let this perverted tranny groom your kid day at the public library takes three parties to pull off. The deviant the library, and the parents. My intense dislike extends to all of these, and most of all, to the absolutely abusive parents that are subjecting their children to this garbage. The parents should be locked up and made to prove that they are able to competently parent. The library should have everyone involved fired with a new team brought in to run a library, not a gay strip club. And the person with the mental disorder should be undergoing heavy counseling to find out what their real problem is. That said, I don't want those with sexual and gender issues to be locked up or disappeared. I don't want them to have less rights guaranteed to them by our Constitution. I also don't want them to have special rights. I know that this perversion will not end until Jesus comes back and sets this world right. I also know that this kind of perversion is lumped in with many, many other categories of sins in the Bible, and thank God all of those will go away when he comes back. If you can't breathe a sigh and long for that future removal of weight from your shoulders, you haven't yet realized what a depraved person you really are. As Paul laments, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you've never felt that, you don't know who you are. Thanks be to God for the sacrifice of his son to save us from that. So are we as a country transphobic and homophobic? On the contrary, we're one of the only countries in the world, for better or for worse, that not only doesn't persecute them, but we bend over backwards to give them special rights, special privileges. Our country, by design, is neither of these. Xenophobic. Yeah, no. Our country is called a melting pot for one reason, because we are literally made up of people from every corner of the globe. We welcome in immigrants that come the right way. We marry outside of our ethnicity all of the time. We worship together, go to school together, work together, help each other. There was a Tommy Lee Jones movie back in 1997 called Volcano. At the end of the movie, a little boy was looking for his mom. The person helping him asked what she looked like. The little boy looked around at all the people covered in head to toe with gray ash and said, quote, Look at their faces. They all look the same. Well, even as hard as the media wants to tell us we don't, for most of us, although we clearly observe differences, we see people as the same. We're all people. So no, the country as a whole is not afraid of, nor do we want to keep out or rid ourselves of Xenos or people that aren't native to this country because we were never designed to be that way. Islamophobic. This one came about mostly after 9-11 where, yeah, we were literally afraid of those that practiced the religion of Islam. This was drummed up again when Trump shut down certain very specific countries from coming here. This was based on their interpretation of the religion, which made them more terroristic, the fundamentalists, not the peaceful Muslims who actually aren't even reading and following their Quran the way it's intended to be followed. And then we wanted those that expressed the desire to bring America down to not be in America. That is Islamophobia. And good, 
We should be very cautious about those that want to harm us. As for those peaceful Muslims, look, their religion is wrong. Their system is either bastardized from our Old Testament or completely made up by a person that was probably satanically tormented. But as a country, they have the freedom to believe as they wish, as long as their belief structure doesn't promote harm to others. And this goes for all religions. I've known and been friends with a few Muslims, and they were amazingly wonderful people. Great family men, hardworking. I just know that their belief structure is wrong, but we can still be friends. Just like one of my best friends is an unsaved person. Someone I've been gently, and sometimes not so gently, nudging for years. I can be friends with him as well. We don't persecute those of other religions. We don't firebomb their mosques. We don't demand they leave our neighborhoods. If they want to live in peace, if they want to assimilate to the way we do things in this country, great. So no, we're not Islamophobic because that goes contrary to our design. Let's shift to ableist, the discrimination of people with disabilities. Let me say this. Have you looked around? We literally have laws that say a building must have access for everyone. We have special features on phones and computers for people with disabilities. We have menus and shopping aids for people with disabilities. We have laws stating that you can't discriminate based on disability when hiring, renting, selling, or anything else. We have public transportation specifically modified, and we have the ability to modify the passenger areas of vehicles, and we have specifically designed controls for cars for people of various disabilities. And the list goes on. Can a person with a disability do everything a person without a disability can? No, but I can't do everything someone else can and vice versa. There are always limitations for everyone in various aspects of life. That's one of those suck it up buttercup type of moments. Get over it, move on with life. I'm pretty sure she added this one on the list to try to overwhelm the senses with the length of her ist list. This one is stupid. As is the next one, classism. You could call slavery classism, but we haven't had that for quite some time, right? But if she's meaning that someone like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos made their money off of the little man, I'd say, and? Of course they did. They had the idea. They put up the capital. They worked tirelessly to make their idea come to fruition. They built the infrastructure. They negotiated the deals. And they hired thousands upon thousands of people at various rates of pay, depending on the market value of the job being done. I'm sorry, but a janitor at Tesla will not be paid the same as an engineer. There are reasons for this. And it has nothing to do with classism. This is also why the fight for 15, you know, the $15 per hour minimum wage, that's stupid. I worked at Hardy's in high school and a little bit in college, and trust me, I was not worth 15 bucks an hour. And I was one of the best, at least in the one in college. And that's not being braggadocious. That is just a fact. Despite what the loony left wants to tell you, the country was not built from the bottom up. It was built by people that had the will, the drive, the capital, and the ideas, who then hired people, and no, I'm not discounting slave labor, which was absolutely a part of building this country, but they hired people to make their vision come to life. This country isn't classist because we weren't set up to be classist. What about being misogynistic? By definition, this means that as a country, she believes we hate women. <laughs> really? I'm wondering if she put any thought into what she tweeted or if she even knows what some of these words mean because it almost seems like she doesn't. She could almost say that we're maybe patriarchal or definitely that by definition we started patriarchal, but we are not, nor have we ever been, misogynistic. Women were not denied the right to vote, drive, etc. because of misogyny. It was because that's the way things were done back then. Eventually, women were granted the same rights as men. Special programs were put in place to get women into college, to hire and promote women. I'm not sure how many more glass ceilings we could break. Seems dangerous with all this flying broken glass. But by design... The beauty in how the founders set up our Constitution is once again displayed by how following the proper processes, it's allowed to change and grow with our time. We can't just change it all higgledy-piggledy. It takes work. It takes a lot of work to get enough agreement to make a change. But that stops us from just creating national laws on a whim and winding up with a document that's as useless, unlawful, and massive as our stupid tax code. So, by design, this country is not misogynistic, and when looked at it in context, it is and was not patriarchist either. Finally, the big one. What about being racist? So first of all, 
race is a misnomer, as we are all one race. But meaning we are ethnicist or colorist, no. Neither the founders nor the Constitution, thus the design of this country, was racist. In fact, if you look it up, Jefferson actually wanted to essentially nullify slavery in the original Constitution, but it was not agreed to by all the representatives of all the states, and the only two options on the table were either to remove that wording or to risk the country never forming in the first place. You may not like it, but the latter, correctly from their vision, was worse than the former. So just like the three-fifths clause, which incidentally had nothing to do with the value of a black person, it had to do with encoding the Constitution with the ability to remove slavery at a point in the future. So just like that, a compromise had to be made with the hope and the expectation that slavery would be done away with in a future that found man more universally enlightened, which is exactly what happened. Unfortunately, racism does exist and did exist. You can call slavery racist or not. I think an argument can be made both ways. I think it had more to do with lack of knowledge, a lack of biblical discernment, and a lack of humanity than it had to do with what we think of as racism today. But we absolutely know that post-Civil War, through civil rights, racism did run rampant for a while. This was generally by Southern Democrats, despite what you're generally told. Keep that in mind. But look at where we are today. We're the only country that initiated a war with ourselves to end slavery. We altered the Constitution to ensure blacks are granted the same human rights as whites, which is sad that we had to do that, to be honest, but we did it. And look at the ways that we've created programs, laws, incentives for blacks to get into college, to be hired, to be promoted. Blacks are no longer treated as second-class citizens. They're no longer pushed to the back of the bus. They're just people. Once you get out of the talking head, media-driven, leftist hellholes, blacks, whites, and everyone else are just people, fellow humans, for Christians, image-bearers of God. Although it took a while, it took a war, it took fighting, this country was not designed as a racist country and is not a racist country. Okay, so as I bring this review to an end, I do want to point out that although by design this nation is not set up as any of these things she's alleging we are, because of the fact that we are a nation of varying faiths and non-faiths, because we are a nation of sinful people, yes, there are people that are all of these things she's claiming, and there always will be. But are there groups that tend this direction? Are there systemic issues with any of these in our country? And I'll say yes. Now, this will sound partisan, and that's only because those are the lines this falls along, because worldview, for the most part, defines party affiliation. When you think of misogyny, this is the despising and hatred of women. Which party wants men to be allowed in restrooms with girls and women? Which party is advocating for men to compete in women's sports? Which party wants women to kill their children while strategically covering up the truth of the risk, both physically and psychologically, to the woman? Which party demonizes a woman's choice to be a stay-at-home mom? Which party is working as hard as they can to get little girls to want to be little boys and pump in chemicals and perform mutilation surgery as soon as possible? Which party ignores atrocities committed against women around the world? Which party wants women to not only be in the military, but to be in combat and to be part of the draft? And this is a very small selection of a much larger list, seeing as men still play a large, if not majority, role in all of these desires and policies. How is this not misogynistic behavior? For men to not protect girls and women, I believe, is one of the most vile, evil, hateful, weak, unmanly things they could do. Men promoting any of these deserve no respect and do not deserve to be called man. These are all policies of the liberal left, by the way. Regarding classism, yes, again, the left talks a good game, eat the rich, tax big corporations, but this goes well beyond money. Although if you look into most of these clowns, male or female, they've all seemed to make a lot of money. They make well over the average wage earner in this country in just salary, but they seem to find ways to make millions more while in office. They demonize those with money, but they are those with money. In office, they make rules and laws that apply to us, not them. If you listen to their words, they view us, especially if you're not of their ideology, as being very small, as the sweaty, smelly rabble. 
Is there classism in this country? Oh, yes. There is a segment of the population that absolutely believes they are the elite. I'll let you take a guess as to who they are. And finally, racism. Let me ask you this. Is it more racist to expect people of color to abide by the same laws, to follow the same procedures, to act responsibly just as non-people of color? Or is it more racist to say that blacks don't know how to use computers, can't be expected to figure out how to get a picture ID, are going to be violent, couldn't possibly get into college without help, couldn't get a job without imposed quotas, can't vote on voting day, or even find their way to the polling place? Is it more racist to set forth the expectation to get a job, provide for your family, and raise your children? Or is it more racist to tell them they can't do it, to give them free money as an incentive to just sit on the couch, because what else can you really do? Is it more racist to say all people have the right to legally own and carry a gun? Or is it more racist to say just wait until black and brown people start legally owning guns, then we'll see how whites feel? Is it racist to say poor kids are just as smart and talented as white kids, like Joe Biden said? Is it racist to intentionally place abortion mills in areas of primarily black people and recruit traitorous black pastors to advocate for abortion within their own community, as was done by Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood? Is it racist that more black babies are aborted in New York than are born? Further, isn't it racist to say that only white people can be racist? Isn't it racist to say that people that have never been racist, people that have never been slave owners, are by their very color racist? Need I go on? I don't think so. There's absolutely racism in this country, and again, it's coming from the liberal left. It's coming from the very people that this woman identifies with. I believe that this country was set up under the divine guidance and protection of God. I know that some people don't believe that, but I do. I believe that at the beginning, this country was set up as a Christian nation. I don't believe that all the founders were Christians. They were a mix of Christians, non-Christians, and deists. But one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that we don't need to set up a theocracy in order to live by biblical principles. After the third commandment, the rest of the commandments are just the right way to live a life. Our country has never been perfect and never will be, but the founders set up this country based on the commandments and Mosaic law to be a good nation from a human point of view. Ben Franklin is famous as being asked what this Constitutional Congress had given the people, to which he replied, a republic, if you can keep it. And yes, they gave us a republic, a solid system, a good system, and we've somewhat kept it. The system is still in place, but the morality is sliding away. And something that holds true nearly every time is that whatever the liberals accuse the conservatives of doing, they're literally doing or planning on doing themselves. If they accuse us of being racist, it's because they're literally racist. If they accuse us of abusing the legislative process, it's because they literally are. If they accuse us of trying to take away rights, they're literally doing that. So as a Christian, you may not want to be involved in politics, but you are. It doesn't matter if you think you're above and outside of politics. You're living in this nation. You have a hand in deciding who will govern us. We don't have a feudal system. You have a vote. You have the ability to speak up when you see something wrong. You have the ability and duty to call out evil. Being a Christian does not mean you're detached from the world. It means you have the duty to be a Christian in a fallen world. We are not to be like the world, but we are to be an active player in the world. The Great Commission doesn't have to be just a one-on-one -on -one thing or only in a foreign country. The Great Commission can apply to the systems, policies, and laws of this nation as well, enabling us the freedom to not only tell others, I mean, look at other countries, but to live out our Christian principles by fighting for them in a country that was designed to allow us to politically fight for them. Being a Christian, being an American, being an American Christian should not be a spectator sport. You don't have to be an activist, but you do have to be active. So don't fall for the hype. Don't crumble under the pressure. Don't just roll your eyes when claims like these are made. Point out the truth. Bring the lies into the light. Fight for what you know to be right. Be an active Christian in all of society. Don't do it to defend the flag, you know, the one that makes Ms. Rao sick. Do it because we are the only group of people that have and know the true truth of this world. If we don't fight for the truth, if we don't tell the truth, something will fill that void. And as Christians have backed out of various aspects of society, evil and depravity have filled that void. 
It's time for us to re-engage. Our charge is not to lay down our arms and let the enemy walk in. It may not be comfortable, but everyone has a role to play. So get on your knees, ask for guidance and courage, and then make sure you're taking up your role. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast@outlook.com, or increasingly, I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.